This is Coochie's Corner Podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at The Crew Chief, on Twitter at The Crew Chief, Instagram at Crew Chief's Corner, and on TikTok at Crew Chief's Corner. And now on the Anchor Podcasting Network at anchor.fm and the Anchor app. All right, what's up, everybody? It's Bobby here at the Coochie's Corner Podcast coming to you on a Wednesday. Uh, boy, what a what an exciting weekend at Dover we had. Uh, obviously, a little bizarre for me because uh, normally I'm at Dover, uh, but we're not at Dover this 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 year because of COVID. But in um, this in the state didn't allow them to to put any fans in the stands at the Monster Mile. But we had um, lots of lots of fun racing going on there. We'll also catch you guys up on the Daytona road course. I know we didn't talk about that um, within the last week. I know I did my uh, 25th anniversary uh, show, which uh, which got a lot of really great listens. So thank you guys so much for the support. We've crossed that 500 mark for total listens uh, between the NASCAR for rookies and this. So thank you guys for that. We continue to grow. I think we had our best week ever, actually. So shout out to all you for all the support. So thank you guys for that. And uh, we'll get into all the silly season news. I know a lot of you guys want to talk about it. We'll talk about the Corey LaJoy leaving Go Fast Racing and what impacts that has. Um, we talked about Ryan Priest uh, a couple episodes ago about possibly him leaving uh, JTG Doherty to go over to uh, Stuart Haas Racing and driving their 98 Xfinity car um, and, and kind of where Corey LaJoy fits into all of that. We will also discuss... Um, this Richard Petty Motorsports rumor that they're going to go to Toyota and Denny Hamlin's involved with Michael Jordan. I don't know how that really got started, but we'll talk about that. And uh, some of the other crazy stuff that I've been seeing on, on, on social media, just people throwing stuff at the wall right now. Um, Cause that is what silly season is. You know, there's these sites that try to build their credibility, quote unquote. Um, and what they do is they throw things against the wall to see what sticks and, and they try to, they try to trick you into thinking that they know what's going on, and sometimes they don't, um, which is which is usually the sad part. So uh, we'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about um, you know Daytona. We're going to be on the Oval, so uh, this this weekend. So we have the Xfinity on on Saturday on Friday night. Then we have the uh, Cup cars on Saturday night, and then we have the trucks running out of Gateway. So we'll talk about all those things. We'll talk about uh, Beard Motorsports. And uh, their little small Cinderella team, we uh, kind of posted an article yesterday about it. It made its rounds. Um, it also got on Twitter, and I kind of screwed up. I kind of said that Brendan Gaughan finished 17th in the Daytona 500 this past year when he really finished 7th. So that kind of got uh, Brendan's eye a little bit. But uh, that was my bad. So sorry, Brendan. You know, we, we, we screwed up. I, at least I'm human. I admit that I made a mistake and uh, you know, it's not like on Twitter, I can go back and just edit something. So we'll get into all that later here on the Coochie's corner podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. All right, guys, back here on the Coochie's corner podcast this is Bobby Bailey. So I want to back up a couple of weeks. We're going to go back to uh, the Daytona road course. And I kind of want to go over that because I know some of you uh, didn't get a chance to hear me break that down and, and kind of talk about uh, Daytona. So, you know, we go to the road course for the first time in the history of the series. And what was really interesting was we were we were kind of trying to figure out what this track was going to be like, because 
NASCAR threw a chicane in there that never existed on the traditional, you know, 24 hours sports car uh, case, uh, road course. And, you know, we were all as, as, as people that follow the sport fans, um, you know, the media, everybody's trying to figure out what in the world is this track going to be with an added chicane. And I think the first thing is there's a lot of people that are upset that they added a chicane because there's a lot of people, no, I want the traditional course, this, that, and the other. And I think the first, the first thing is we had to look back on why NASCAR wanted to add a chicane. And I think the concern was that if they didn't have the chicane, the speeds going into turn one could reach that 180, 185 mark and trying to slow a race car down. Now, these things aren't, you know, um, sports cars. The brakes on these cars are not as spectacular or not as impressive as they are on a, on a sports car. These things do not stop on a dime, okay? These things are very hard to stop. And, you know, you would have the potential of lots of wheel hop, lots of guys missing turn one, and um, you would have a big problem because they don't have the tire barrier there like they do at the Roval, all right? And and they just they, – there's a lot of things that NASCAR would have had to have done in order to get this track ready. So as much as this was a turnkey option for ISC or NASCAR, um, this wasn't just a – simple we're going to do this um so they they added the chicane which slowed the cars down which is you know i know a lot of people were upset about it but it is what it is i mean you know when you get told by the governor yeah you can come run Watkins Glen, but you got to quarantine in my state for two weeks you know what the option was there was there was no other choice i mean cuomo literally backed nascar into a corner and he could say otherwise he could say whatever he wants but he literally backed nascar into a corner here so NASCAR said, fine, we'll, we'll go. We have a road course that we could go to, which was Daytona. Okay. They're not going to go to Homestead, Miami. They're not going to go to Kansas. They're not going to go to uh, Talladega. You know, they're going to go to one of the road courses, which is basically turnkey, which is the Daytona International Speedway road course. It is a turnkey road course. They could go in there. They can, you know, put the cones out and stuff to, to, to tell the drivers to go into the infield. And that's it. There's no, oh, we got to rebuild this. Oh, man, this hasn't been paved in 10 years. You know, all that stuff. Because Homestead Miami's road course isn't used as much as it has been. Okay? The one in Kansas, I don't even know. I mean, I know it's a, it's in a legit road course. I know they've used it. But, I mean, is NASCAR comfortable going out to Kansas and, and putting the road course out there and something that's really unproven that hasn't been run that often by IMSA or or any of the professional race car leagues? Okay, it might be an SCCA track or something like that, or a club track, but it's not something that, you know, a professional sports series has run. So I think NASCAR wanted to a slam dunk, you know, Daytona Road Course. We know what this is. We're going to do this. So a lot of hoopla, a lot of people that were kind of excited. Um, it raced a little bit like Watkins Glen in the sense of the high speeds, but it didn't race like Watkins Glen in the excitement category. Okay. You know, yeah, I know Harvick had his spin there and, and you know, in, in the international horseshoe and all that. And a lot of people were 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 kind of talking about it. But, I mean, the race itself wasn't the most exciting road course race I've ever seen in my life. I definitely think the Roval has been more exciting. I definitely think Watkins Glen has been more exciting. Hell, I even think Sonoma has been more exciting. So if you're going to ask me my personal opinion of where I feel like this road course is going to sit, um you know, on, on the four that I've seen, I would say it's number four. It's not, 
it's not the greatest one I've seen. And I don't think it's necessarily the lack of practice. I think it's just not the right course for NASCAR. Okay. This is a great sports car course uh, because there's, there's passing opportunities. There's, you know, sports car racing and NASCAR, two different disciplines. Guys that run sports cars aren't going in there beating and banging on each other. Okay. NASCAR, you know, I, I guess the fans, we're more accustomed to people beating and banging on each other. I mean, yeah, there was guys flying through the grass and the, in the, uh, you know, through the bus stop there in the backstretch and all that. But that was people just pushing the limits of the track. And some guys just didn't flat out know when to break and stuff like that. That's what that was. That wasn't because the track was, you know, causing that. That was people just didn't know what the hell they were doing. So I do think that um, we we shouldn't come back here as far as a full-time, you know, race on the schedule. It should be something like they want to do this for the Bush Clash next year, uh, which is which was already announced. Fine. I, I'm cool with them doing this for the Bush Clash. I think it's a great idea. It's something unique. It's something different. But this is not a track that I want to see a points-paying race at again. I just I just don't see it. Um, and, and that's just my opinion, you know. And I, I know some of you are going to say, well, you know, I liked it. Okay, great. But, um, you know, it wasn't exciting to me. You know, there was, there was very – unless it was a restart, it was very boring. There wasn't a lot of beating and banging. There wasn't a lot of scrappiness to it. Um, and I do think part of it is that you're on the Daytona Oval – um, which, you know, in the corners and stuff, you're, you know, in the NASCAR corners, you're not seeing a lot of passing because these guys are just getting up to speed. These cars are just starting to crank. And then as soon as they're starting to get into their rhythm, they got a chicane they got to go through and navigate. So it just, it wasn't as exciting as, as it could have been, but, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see. NASCAR wants to maybe figure out a way they could put it on the schedule. Um, I just think that's code for, they're going to take a date away from somebody else now, but we'll see what happens. And, and I do think that should COVID last into next year and how long it lasts in the next year is also going to be a dependent on what NASCAR does with the schedule going forward. Cause listen, you know, if they have some problems and they can't get back into some of these cities again, you know, like, like this year, I mean, they couldn't run Chicago in, they couldn't run this, they couldn't run that. They might have to have Daytona ready as a backup plan for Watkins Glen again, or another track. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, but as far as the race goes, um, you know, Chase Elliott gets a big win, you know, his second win of the season. It kind of takes him out of that group of guys that just have one win, and it puts him in a, a in the multi-win category, which is good for him. Um, it, I think it ties him with Logano as far as wins go on the uh, on the reseed, which is good. Um, and I think it does put Chase ahead of Joey, if I'm not mistaken, because Joey has less playoff points than, than Chase does. So that all kind of worked out for, for Chase's benefit. Uh, but listen, you know, Chase Elliott has become one of those, you know, drivers that you got to contend with to win a race on a road course these days. You know, he's proven that he can win at Watkins Glen. He can win at, win at the Roval. He can now win at Daytona and on the road course. The only place he hasn't won at is Sonoma. And I think that that's going to happen probably within the next year or two. You know, I think he's going to win one of those races out at Sonoma. Um, so, so Chase Elliott has definitely become kind of like the ringer when it comes to road racing. And, and, and I don't know, you know, where that kind of came from. I mean, I know Bill was, his dad was a very good road racer, but I mean, his dad wasn't a guy that every time the road courses came up, you know, Bill Elliott was a contender. 
You know, there was a lot of years I know, you know, especially when Bill had his own team that Bill wasn't, wasn't a, a contender at the road courses. You know, those were, those were the, the Mark Martin, Jeff Gordon dominated times. And then, you know, Tony Stewart came around, and, you know, Tony Stewart couldn't be touched on some of these tracks. So very interesting that, that Chase has been so successful. I think part of it is he's had very good equipment over there at Hendrick Motorsports. And, you know, let's face it, um, they have, they have the, uh, the horsepower figured out you know, at the 750 tracks, they just can't figure out the, uh, the 550 tracks as much, you know, and I know Chase won it at Charlotte, you know, the, the Wednesday race, but that was a shorter race and they, they were able to, their strategy played in their favor too. So that helped them out a little bit, but big second win for Chase. Um, I thought the trucks and Xfinity races were pretty decent. Again, a little wild, uh, in the truck side of things, just because you had guys that just flat out didn't know what the hell they were doing. Um, you know, and you had Tagliani in that race, which is always wild. You know, Alex is, uh, is quite a character sometimes on the racetrack, but, um, overall I thought the race itself was, was, was decent in both series, but again, nothing, nothing that I saw that I was like, Oh my God, I got to watch Daytona next year. You know, like this has got to be on the cert on the schedule. I don't feel that way. So, all right, beat it, beat a dead horse there, but let me know guys, um, what you think of Daytona. Um, you know, in the, in the comments and, and anything like that, um, you know, what you guys think of that, because it's just crazy. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to take another quick break, but before we do that, in case you guys have never checked it out, we do live record this. So this is actually right now streaming on Twitch and we're also on YouTube. So if you're looking for the YouTube channel, just search crew chiefs corner, you'll find our, uh, our YouTube channel, subscribe to it. Then you'll get notified every time we go live. And then on Twitch, it's just twitch.tv slash giants, like the football team, 02122. And you can check out the live stream whenever we uh, live uh, record the episodes here on the Coochie's Corner podcast. That all happens on there. So, um, and then when we're done, you know, we upload it and you guys get to check it out on your favorite uh, podcasting platform. So, um, you know, that's, that's how you guys can listen to us live and also how you can listen to it after, after we record it. And, uh, you know, put it up out there on the podcasting platforms that we're on. So we'll come right back here on the Coochie's Corner podcast. We will next, uh, next up, we're going to break down the Dover, Dover. Oh my gosh. Lots of uh, speech issues right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you going through the Dover doubleheader weekend, um, the Dryden doubleheader, and we'll break down the cup races, Xfinity, and the truck race all next here on the Coochie's Corner podcast. All right, guys, back here on the Coochie's Corner Podcast. I am Bobby Bailey. So let's get into Dover, the Dryden doubleheader weekend at the Monster Mile. Uh, the first race I haven't been to Dover in probably seven years, if I had to guess. I think 2013 was the last time. Uh, was the was the first time of, like, I think the third time, I my third streak. Um, we went, I, I went a couple years without going to Dover. I want to say from 10 to 13, I didn't go, um, due to a couple different things. And, uh, then before that I was there, I think from eight, eight to 10, I went eight, nine and 10. And then we didn't go, um, that was seven years, eight years. I think I didn't go. So from 2000 to 2008, we didn't, or 2001 to 2008, we didn't go. So those are seven years I didn't go, seven, eight, nine, yeah, like 10 years, but um, who's counting? Anyhow, 
truck race Thursday. I mean, uh, Friday afternoon at the monster mile, normally a five o'clock start, um, has always been a five o'clock start since I can remember. I mean, I remember, um, back in the day they used to run it at five and then they would, um, show happy hour or something. They used to do like happy hour. I, w- I want to say they used to throw it on TV at like five o'clock in the evening. And then they would throw the truck race on at seven on a tape delay, which was always the dumbest thing I ever s- saw. But then they started lot showing it live. Um, you know, the last few years they've been doing that. So, uh, the truck race, you know, always, always is an interesting one at Dover. It's never, um, it's never boring. I remember one of the races, I think this is 2010, if I'm not mistaken, that Eric Amarola was driving for Billy Ballou at the time. And Eric won that truck race at Dover and won it on strategy. Um, I think a lot of the, the cars came down pit road, took two or four tires, and Eric took just fuel. And they went out and won, and he yarded the field. And it was a very, very, uh, you know, strategy, you know, laden move. Um, it was the, really the only way Almirola was going to win that race. He did not have the dominant truck that day. And that 51, that was before uh, Kyle Busch took it over. That was that was Billy Ballou's, uh deal on his own. Uh, Kyle did share that truck. Um, but I think Kyle at that time was driving for himself. Maybe he was just starting to drive for himself. He was driving, I think the 18 at the time and just starting out on his own. Um, you know, so, so, you know, Eric Amarola drove the 51 with Billy Ballou. He had a, he had a sponsor and they ran full time with that 51 truck and he won that race there at, uh, Dover, which was kind of interesting. Um, you know, kind of flashback thing, but you know, overall, I thought the race was kind of, eh, you know, I didn't think it was that great. Um, but, you know, sometimes Dover produces races like that. You know, you sometimes get those races where um, you don't think it's going to be exciting and, and sometimes they're not, you know. But but the thing I think with Dover, when you look at um, usually the truck races is, is, is the more the more exciting one. It's not always, um, you know, a boring race. But, you know, w- when you have really good, you know, drivers out there, it, it produces some really crazy results sometimes. Um, but you know, a big win for Zane Smith. I mean, I think that restart kind of helped Zane in, in some regards. Um, you know, Moffitt had a pretty good truck. You know, you look at Todd Gillen, uh, finished in fourth. Um, but Zane had a pretty good truck there. You know, Zane was up there. Um, Moffitt probably, in my opinion, had the truck to beat there late in the race. It was just that restart, you know, he just, he just had nothing for him. And, uh, you know, the choose cone, I think is, is still, we're still learning a lot about that, how that's going to play into some of these races and how guys are going to make their strategies. I mean, Crafton kind of picked the right lane, I'd say, cause he was third. He was right behind Zane Smith, uh, on that restart and kind of drove away and Moffat just couldn't do anything. Um, uh, but Moffat had a pretty good truck. Uh, Todd Gillen, like I said, you know, just kind of surprised me, you know, top, top five for those guys. Uh, Johnny Sauter, somebody a lot of people thought was going to win that race because the Sauters, you know, won the last three races at the Monster Mile, um, but just really didn't have what he needed to win. He was he was a solid top five truck, but brought it home there in uh, sixth. And then you had Austin Hill, who led uh, some of that race as well. Or was. Yeah. Yeah. Austin Hill led some of that race. He led uh, 21 laps. Um so just, just not the most exciting race. I mean, you had guys on different strategies, um, 
you know, and all that. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but the Xfinity race and the cup race on Saturday, you know, Al Geyer getting a win. He needed a win in the worst way. We talked about this before. Um, you know, we, we looked at what uh, that was all going to be like, you know, with the final four. And I think that when you throw, um, you know, Al Geyer in that mix, you know, what are you really going to see at the end of the season? And, and, I, and I said it, you know, Al Geyer was always my fourth guy. He was never one or two. He was never ever in that kind of three or four mix. Um, you know, that's kind of where I thought he was. He was either going to be a three or a four in this, in this, you know, championship four. Uh, because I think one and two, it's Briscoe and Cindric all the way. You know, two Fords have been beating up on the Chevrolets this year. And you look at, you know, Briscoe's, you know, kind of went through a slump. Okay. I know he won the race on Sunday. But, you know, you look at Briscoe kind of has been going through a slump. He had a rough day at Dover on Saturday, uh, which opened the door for Cindric really to get that win. And Al Geyer just had the better car in that last that last restart. He just he was able to get back to the lead and was able to drive away and, and, and drive off with it, you know. So Al Geyer picked up a win that he needed and at a track that he's done pretty well at in the past. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, definitely he's made the case now to be – that fourth guy in your championship for. And, and that's kind of where I thought he's been all season is that third or fourth guy, you know, and uh, Gregson, you know, has kind of been, you know, I, I think you can really pick between Gregson and, and, and Jeb Burton. I mean, not Jeb, uh, Harrison Burton, who they're, who the third guy is going to be, you know, who, you know, one and two, we pretty much know it's Cindric and, and Briscoe. And then is it Harrison Burton or is it Noah Gregson? And then Al Geyer now is your fourth guy. Uh, that's where I think they, they, they rate right now. So, We'll see how that all pans out, but um, the cup race, you know, Hamlin, <laughs> you know, it seems like if it's not Kevin Harvick, it's Denny Hamlin winning races. So uh, very bizarre to see that, um, how that all panned out. But, uh, you know, just, just, just uh, Hamlin just had what it took, you know, he just had the car. He had, he had what he needed to win that race. And, you know, late in the going, I know some people are trying to, you know, play the strategy card, but Hamlin just has, has his ability to win races that, you know, in the past have always eluded him. You know, Dover's been one of those places for Denny that he hasn't been great. You know, he just hasn't been uh, successful there like he has been like at Richmond or at Pocono or Martinsville. Um, those are all places that, you know, if, if you're asking me where's Denny Hamlin going to be good at, those are all places I would say. Um, Dover wouldn't be on that list because it's traditionally been Jimmy Johnson. It's traditionally been you know, uh, guys like Matt Kenseth, Mark Martin, you know, have run well at Dover in the past. And and you look at uh, Hamlin, it's just not a track that for whatever reason has been a track he's won at. And now he, he adds that win, um, you know, and then you come back on Sunday. All right. And you get two different winners than what you had on Saturday. So you had Al Geyer winning the Xfinity race. Then you had uh, Hamlin winning the cup race. And then you get to Sunday and Austin, you know, Cindric again is in the mix, but Cindric isn't as good as he was. And then Briscoe, who seemed to have problems on, on Saturday, spun his car out, finished, I think, 10th that race, comes back and turns around and runs much better and wins that race going away. All right. And then you look at Harvick. Harvick comes back, right? They find that the uh, that that there's a problem with his car. Okay, they find out that the car is is basically, uh, you know, messed up. So they have to fix it. And 
the problems that they had with that car, they fixed it, and they they were able to make that car go from being a fourth place car to winning the race. And the the problem was that the track bar just kept you know lowering itself, and and uh, you know we've had problems like this in the past uh, where these things happen with the track bar, but you know it was kind of like you know broken almost essentially. I mean, it kept it kept adjusting itself down, which you know, creates problems for the driver. It makes the car harder to handle and harder to, you know, harder to control going into those corners. So very, very uh, bizarre race and just, um, you know, for Harvick on Saturday and then to come back on Sunday and have the car to beat, you know, there was really nothing anybody could do. I mean, Jimmy Johnson tried late in the race. There that caution with 20 laps to go. He tried so hard, um, you know, on the, on that two strat, two tire strategy call to win that race, but he just, he couldn't do it. You know, he just, he didn't have the car, uh, you know, that was capable of doing. And I think the big thing with, with Jimmy is, and I've said that, said it earlier in the season, I think Jimmy, you know, is used to winning races, right? Jimmy's used to being dominant. He's used to being a guy that, you know, people look at and say, well, Jimmy Johnson's going to win. You know, you go to Dover, it used to be, you know, Dover was Jimmy Johnson's playground. I mean, I can't tell you how many races I've seen Jimmy Johnson go in and, and just stink the place up. And, you know, that's, that's part of Dover is Jimmy Johnson has won there 11 times. He's been one of the, the, the dominant drivers at that track. And, you know, you go into this weekend and you know, it's the final time Jimmy's going to race here, at least as a full-time cup driver. Um, and, and you know, Jimmy needs to get into the playoffs. So a lot of people were saying, Jimmy, this is, if this is really Jimmy's back to where Jimmy was, this is going to be the place. This is going to be the place that Jimmy's going to get a win. Jimmy had a great run on Saturday. Okay. Maybe not a winning effort, but they had a top 10 car. Okay. He gained ground on his teammate, William Byron. He got himself back into the playoffs, albeit by three points. And then they leave Dover and he's out of the playoffs again by four. So, you know, William Byron had a terrible race on Saturday, okay? And him and Chad Canales getting in a screaming match on the radio, which, you know, basically Chad and Jimmy used to get into those several times, you know, uh, back in, even in their, even in their, their prime, they would scream at each other um, quite a bit. And, and it's because, and I've said this before, to be a race car driver, you got to almost be an alpha male. You got to be that type A personality to drive one of these cars. You can't be someone that's, you know, oh, I'll just let you go. Because those are the guys, you know, like, like they don't build them like Mark Martin anymore. Okay. And, and you know, if you listen to Mark's podcast, you know, Mark was always the guy that he would, he would let people go because he knew they had a better car than him. But what he was hoping in, on, the, on the return was that when he had the better car, that you would let him go. In today's society, that doesn't work. Today, it's you don't give anybody an inch. Okay, it's very much dog eat dog. Even on the racetrack, it's dog eat dog world. And that's where I. That's why I said they don't make them like Mark Martin. You know anymore. Mark is a guy that you know used to, like I said, used to let people go. He, you know, if Matt Kenseth was quicker than him, he would go way up the track and turn three and four and let Mark. I mean, let Matt have the bottom, the preferred groove. He just let him go. And it wouldn't disrupt his rhythm. You know, these days, these guys are pushing each other every single corner of every lap. I mean, you go back to the truck race, and Johnny Sauter 
was on the inside of a truck and, and literally Sauter's trying to get around him. This driver, he's got a better truck. I forget who it was. And Sauter gets loose. And I'm like, oh boy, if Johnny Sauter ever gets back to this guy, he's going to wreck this guy. And I think it was Derek Krause. I think Derek Krause was running like fourth or fifth at the time. And Sauter's trying to get around the kid. And the kid's not giving Sauter any ounce of space, which again, you, you want to race a guy that hard. That's fine. But then when you get the guy loose and he's sideways and he's Johnny Sauter, and he comes back and dumps you. There's a reason for it. You know, you give guys room, at least give them room to race. Um, but sometimes that does, you know, a lot of times that doesn't happen these days. Okay. But, um, you know, like I said, you know, it, it just, you knew Jimmy was good. Uh, you know, was, was going to have a good car and, and you kind of saw it a little bit on, on Sunday, he was pushing the envelope. I mean, he sailed it into turn one right on the back of Cole Custer. And I, I remember saying to to my girlfriend, I was like, you know, I said, you know, you know, Jimmy's going to wreck Cole. Like this is this is not good. Yeah, you know, how hard he was pushing him in that corner, and I just was like, this is not this is not going to be pretty. Uh, you know, because Cole doesn't need a, a destroyed car, and I think Cole got sent up the track, and he just kind of let Jimmy go. Um, and he made a joke about it after the race. He says, "I'll always have that time that Jimmy Jimmy tried to ship me in the corner in the turn one, and I just let him go." Um, but Jimmy was pushing the envelope. He wanted to win that race. And he felt like, you know, he said this later after the race, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. He felt like if he um, didn't push it and they didn't try that strategy that uh, of two tires at the end, he never would have known how good his car would have been out front. You know, he thought clean air was king and he was just going to be able to drive away with it. And he, he just wasn't, he wasn't able to hold the bottom. And that's one of the things at Dover. I mean, you know, yeah, you can run the top side, but the preferred groove is the bottom of the racetrack. Guys run up the track the longer the runs go at Dover. And when you have these really long runs at Dover, that's when the guy, that's when Jimmy Johnson has always been his best. You know, you got these runs where they got 200 laps uh, and they would just get in that rhythm. Jimmy Johnson, was that was Jimmy's thing. You know, Jimmy could just get into that rhythm and he could run that track and and it didn't matter what part of the track Jimmy ran. He just he could, he had the long run speed in those cars. And I think with the stages, I think that's kind of hurt Jimmy in a lot of ways at Dover because he can't get into that rhythm. You know, you have 90 laps, then a stage end. You have another 90 laps, stage end. And then you run 110 to the end, which, again, isn't really something that Jimmy is. You know, Jimmy's got a car that usually if they're running 150, 200 laps without a caution, He's usually that guy that's, you know, burning through the field and he, he could take a car that's running fifth and win the race with it because the other guys are burning their tires up and Jimmy's just able to keep, you know, gnawing away at that, at those leaders and he's able to get around them and, and, and move through. So, um, you know, Jimmy tried really hard to win that race, but it didn't happen. So it is what it is. Uh, Blaze said the Sunday races uh, for both series were pretty exciting. Different winners. Stuart Haas Racing won both days. Uh, I mean, both races. Uh, they didn't win both days. They won both races. And uh, that's it for the Dryden double at Dover. I mean, just uh, exciting. Like I said, sad that I wasn't there. Uh, I know my girlfriend and I kind of reminisced about it a little bit. We kind of were like, man, first race weekend that it really hit home that we weren't at the track. You know, the Pocono doubleheader. For me, it wasn't as as um, as as upsetting because I was only going to be able to go to one of those races anyhow, so I wasn't too upset about it. But uh, the doubleheader at, at Dover was definitely the one that hit home because, uh, you know, 
I, I, I love going there. It's, it's one of my favorite places to go. I just, just enjoy the track, just enjoy, uh, being down there and, 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 you know, doing the things that, that we do down there. Um, you know, the, some of the, the places we go eat, um, you know, so there's some different things there in Delaware that we don't have up in Jersey. And, um, you know, we, we stay in PA, we drive into, Do- you know, into Delaware. Um, you know, we stay on the other side of Wilmington, which is, which is kind of neat. It's kind of neat little touristy kind of place in, in the brand new wine Valley there. If you guys have ever, have ever thought about going, you should go. Uh, it's a pretty cool little place. It's uh, kind of, like I said, the other side of, of, of Wilmington. And, uh, you know, if you're into wine tours and, and breweries and stuff, there's a ton of things to do in the brand new wine Valley, uh, over there in PA. So highly recommend it. If you guys have never been, um, you know, it, it is kind of, it is touristy, but it's not, uh, in your face touristy. You know, there's a lot of businesses there. There's a lot of corporations that are based on both sides of the, of the border there. And, uh, there's a lot of things you can go do and, and the riverfront area in Wilmington, you can go check that out. That's usually pretty good and um, lots of fun things to do. So uh, hopefully, you know, next year, fingers crossed, we'll be back and we'll be uh, back at Dover and we'll be back at Pocono and who knows what other tracks we'll go to. Because now now with just one race at Dover, one race at Pocono, um, it opens up some weekends. I'll tell you that. It does open up the possibilities of going to other tracks, uh, which is which is fine with me. I mean, I don't mind going to other places. Uh, you know, you got a little bit of a bucket list sometimes, you know, that you want to go to different places. So we'll see. So on the other side of this break, we are going to get you guys all the latest Zoe season news. We'll chat a little bit about, uh, Corey LaJoy leaving go fast. We'll talk about what that means probably for Ryan Priest's future. We'll talk about this Richard Petty motorsports rumor with possibly Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan owning the team. I don't know where that's going to lead. Um, and then we'll talk about some of the other stuff that people are throwing against the wall just because, you know, it's silly season. I mean, let's just, just come up with the dumbest things of all time and just say, ooh, it's silly season rumor. Okay. All that and more coming right back at you on the Coochie's Corner podcast. I am Bobby Bailey. <laughs> all right, everybody. Welcome back to the Coochie's Corner podcast. I am Bobby Bailey. Bringing you the latest now in the silly season world. Um, so let's start out with the actual official news that we've had that we can go over, and then we'll talk about the rumors. Okay, first and foremost, we had Corey LaJoy officially announcing that he's leaving Go Fast Racing. I kind of feel like this was something we talked about earlier in the year, though. Uh, I don't think Corey ever kind of officially announced it, but there were strong indications that Corey was not going to return to Go Fast Racing. Um, he was kind of looking for a more competitive ride in 2021. And I remember there was something on Fox that he handed Rick Hendrick a letter for Rick to, to read and try to get Rick to hire him to drive the, uh, the drive to 48, um, which I thought was kind of, uh, you know, the, Hey, that's going for it. You know, even if you don't get the opportunity, even if you don't get the seat, it's the fact that you had the, the cojones to go up to Rick Hendrick. Hey, I have this letter. I, I wrote to you about the 48 or maybe he didn't say anything to him about it. I don't know, but he gave Rick Hendrick a letter about his, uh, you know, reasons why he believes that he would be a great fit in that 48 car. And, and we'll find out who drives that car down the road. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, Corey's trying to get in a more competitive seat, kind of what Matt D. Benedetto was trying to do. And I, and I thought there was an interesting article that 
uh, I think it was on Toby's website, Toby Christie's website about uh, Archie St. Hilaire and his son, Mason, who run go fast. And they were talking about kind of where they're, where they're at in their development of their race team. And it was a very interesting article. I read, read pretty much all of it. And I think it was, you know, they, they kind of alluded to the fact that they're happy being a team that builds drivers careers. You know, you look at Matt D. Benedetto drove for him for a couple seasons and Matt goes over to, to Levine family racing. And, you know, he, he drives for a Levine family. He has a couple decent runs and, and next thing you know, the Wood Brothers, you know, Paul Menard decides to retire and they're looking for a driver. And Paul Menard goes to the Wood Brothers and say, hey, I'd hired Matt D. Benedetto. And they go and put him in the 21 car. Now, I don't know if D. Benedetto's back in that car next year. I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with whether or not Menards decides to pay the bills for the Wood Brothers again or not. But we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, I don't think D Benedetto has done anything to lose that ride. I think he's, you know, he's had a tough year. Um, uh, but you know, I think Paul Menard would have had a tough year in that car too, if not a worse year. So I think you just, you know, you look at Corey LaJoy in the last couple of years has, has, you know, turned in a better season. Uh, he's had better years than Matt did in that car, believe it or not, which is hard to believe. Uh, but he's had two better seasons than Matt did. You know, last year was was he was two spots better than Matt was in points. This year, Corey's two spots better than he was last year in points. Um, so that team has made a lot of small gains, you know, and they've they've gone they've climbed out of the 30s. They're now in the the low 20s, uh, which is saying something for a team that basically five six years ago didn't have a full time driver. They were kind of like where Spire Motorsports is today you know they were kind of like that they were kind of like renting the seat out selling the seat out to people that had funding and letting them run races i mean i remember archie used to used to you know they go up to new england and and because archie and and the is up from up in new england he would let guys go in and from new england go in there and drive that car you know he would he would let you know uh i think uh andy santer drove that car you know, I think there was some other people that were New England drivers that would jump in that race car that wouldn't have had an opportunity otherwise. And it was because Archie was just trying to, you know, sell, sell a lot of sponsorship and was trying to make it like a New England thing that he would put a New England driver, maybe that didn't get a cup opportunity uh, to drive his car. So, um, you know, those things happened. And then we got into, um, you know, the last few years and they've had full-time drivers, you know, they've had D Benedetto in that car. Now they got Corey LaJoy in there and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. Um, but you know, one of the things that, you know, I think Corey has brought is some attention to this team, hopefully for sponsors, hopefully Corey has done, uh, something that has made, you know, Archie and Mason kind of realize that this team has the potential to run, with some of these other teams, you know, they had an increased, they had a, a relationship this year with Stuart Haas racing. They had some old cars from Stuart Haas come over. And, you know, I know right now they're running the B package at Roush uh, Yates motors, but they're looking at getting the A package. And when you go to that A package, you need to have a lot more funding. And that was one of the things that they mentioned in that article um, that they need funding to, to improve that. And there's been some chatter about, possibly Chase Briscoe driving that car next year um, with an expanded Stuart Haas technical alliance. 
Um, and we'll see. You know, I, I think if you had to ask me today what the plan for them is, is they're trying to find a driver that has some funding that will be able to pair in with the funding that they have from Keen Parts, CorvetteParts.net, and maybe some of their other uh, sponsors, and you know, parlay that into a uh, into a full time deal, and hopefully something that they can go and get the 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 higher end you know package at Roush Yates and uh, run that tier one package. You know that 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 would gain them a couple spots in the in the you know in the finishing order each week. So. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, but like I said, you know, it, it's a potential landing spot for Briscoe if he doesn't get the 14. Um, let's say Tony Stewart does do what a lot of people think he's going to do, and that's hire Larson and replace Boyer with Larson. Uh, you know, then what do you do with Briscoe? I think Briscoe ends up then in the 32, which is a, which was a potential landing spot for Cole Custer this year if they brought Suarez back with the funding. Uh, but Suarez only had so much funding this year. He didn't have the money that it took to put the Stuart Haas car on the track. But he had enough money to go to the Gaunt brothers. So make that for what it is. But one of the other dominoes that would fall on this is that if Briscoe does get a cup seat, whether it's the 14, the 32, or whatever happens, uh, what do you do with the 98? And I think Stuart Haas is... Kind of, I mean, I think they're going to keep the Xfinity program around. I think they've seen the value in having that program um, for for crew development, especially, uh, and a little bit for driver development. I think Briscoe and Cole Custer were two guys. I mean, Briscoe was kind of the guy that they didn't really put in that seat originally. That was kind of like something that kind of just happened. I mean, they, you know, Ford was kind of throwing money around a little bit a couple years ago and gave Roush some money to to keep the sixty car going. And they had that program, you know, uh, the drive development program over there with the 60. You know, they had, um, you know, Cindric in that car. They had Briscoe in that car. And they had Ty Majeski in that car. And, and Roush is really looking for funding for Majeski. But in order to have the funding, he had to take Briscoe and he had to take Cindric with him because, you know, Penske only had so much funding for for Cindric. Uh, Penske, you, you know, I mean, uh, Stuart Haas only had so much funding for Briscoe. So they kind of had to put um, – a little bit of money in the Roush uh, to do that, to help those other programs out. And they did it. And, and none of the guys were successful in the 60 car. The, the program was a total failure. And, um, you know, basically that's why Majeski at, at it, ended up out of Roush. That's why Sindrick ended up at Penske full-time. And that's why Briscoe ended up at Stuart House full-time. But, you know, you look at, um, you know, what happens with the 98 then. You know, who's going to be in that car? Who's going to replace Briscoe? And Ryan Priest's name kind of comes up because one of the places that Corey LaJoy is linked to is is JTG Doherty Racing in the 37 car. Now, we know Ryan struggled, um, you know, mightily this year. We know last year was his rookie year. This year has been the struggle year for, for Ryan, and I think there's a myriad of reasons why. You know, I think part of it is – you know, this is his second team within a year. This is a totally different team than the 47 team. Um, supposedly, this is the better of the two cars. If you ask most people out there, uh, the 37 has always been kind of viewed as the better car because they had Busher in this car. Um, but a lot of the the that has seemed to gone away this year because the 47 seems to be where all the attention is with Stenhouse. And it seems like Priest is just kind of 
off on his own island with the 37 team. I don't know even what to say about that because it's just it's been such a tough year for Ryan. And 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 lots of it isn't things that are within his control. Things have broken on that car. He's been involved in other people's accidents. Um so you can't blame it all on Ryan Priest. But uh, you know, again, if Corey LaJoy is coming into this program, he's gonna inject a little bit of money into it. Uh, because he does have some sponsorships that have followed him uh to go fast. They'll follow him over to JTG for sure. Um, and I think Corey looks at the 37 as a better ride. You know, it has Hendrick horsepower, they have uh, better equipment and um, more up-to-date stuff. Um, they're building their own cars and all that stuff. So I think it's a step up from what Corey has now. I don't think it's going to be something that Corey's going to step into and is going to win races in it, but I do think Corey's going to step into it and, and get better results. I think more consistent results and, and ones that he feels like he's deserve, uh, you know, he deserves to get. Um, but I think Ryan priest taking a step back on in Xfinity would make sense. You know, if he does get fired from JTG, um, and goes goes back to Xfinity. I mean, we know he can win in an Xfinity car. He's done it already uh, over at Gibbs. He's won a couple times. Um, so we know he's got the talent when he's put in the right equipment. Um, and, I, and I do think that, you know, Ryan, of everything I heard, had two options for, for last year. One was, you know, he could have tried to get some money to run at Gibbs, but it was, it was going to be on his own. It wasn't going to be like it was the last couple years where he had sponsorship from Craftsman and he had sponsorship from, uh, Reem, you know, Reem was going to go with, uh, Christopher Bell the following year. Anyhow, that was the direction, you know, Gibbs was pushing him. So if priest wanted to run a car at Gibbs, he could have, but the problem was, was he was going to have to bring the sponsorship. And, and Ryan only had so much funding behind him. Uh, and he got an opportunity to drive a cup car and a pretty decent cup car at that. So, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough. And, and, and you look at, you know, he's going to go back. So so the rumor is he's going to go back to Xfinity. He's going to drive for Stuart Haas. Now, again, it's going to – I hate to say it. It's going to come down to funding again for Ryan because – how much funding does Ryan really have behind him now to go to Stuart Haas and drive a top flight Xfinity car? You know, he's basically that's going to cost seven to eight million dollars to run that Xfinity program. And does Ryan Priest have that kind of funding in his back pocket right now? We'll see. But that's a hot rumor on that one. Now, let's get into the whole Michael Jordan, Richard Petty Motorsports thing. Guys, I've read it. I've seen it. I know what it's all about. I don't believe it for five seconds, and I'll tell you why. NASCAR has a four-car team rule. You cannot personally benefit from a sponsorship of a car that of, – of more than four cars. Okay, so if Denny Hamlin drives for Gibbs, he cannot – because he drives for Gibbs, he cannot run his own car and not drive it. You get what I'm saying? So if Denny Hamlin leaves Gibbs, which if that was going to happen, they wouldn't have to have gotten rid of Eric Jones. Okay? Because they could have kept Christopher Bell and Eric Jones and, you know, made everybody happy. And Denny could have went and done his own thing with Michael Jordan over at Richard Petty Motorsports if that's what they really wanted to do. Now, 
the question then becomes, well, what would happen then? You know, would he take the sponsorship and, you know, he, would he take FedEx with him? Okay. Which, again, you know, I don't think would have been a big deal because if he took FedEx with him and it was going to be a Gibbs affiliated program anyhow, um, I don't think that's, that would have been a big deal because I think Reem would have plugged themselves right into, into Gibbs. They would have sponsored a car. And, you know, Hamlin might have been even able to take the 11 with him because really, I mean, Hamlin is the 11 for all intents and purposes. And, you know, they could have run a different number for, for um, Eric Jones. You know, maybe Eric Jones goes out and gets, you know, uh, you know, he can't run the four, which was one of his numbers, but maybe he goes and finds a number that was, was one of his quarter midget numbers or, or a, a, a late model number that he ran and they stick it on the side of the car and that's his new number, you know, or, or they do that with Christopher Bell. Maybe they go and say, hey, we're going to go get the 54 or something, and we're going to put that on his car. You know, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it just – the whole thing doesn't make sense because they're, they're, they're not going to be able to do this with Hamlin because he's going to be still at Gibbs, and then he's going to have a part ownership of Richard Petty Motorsports – with Michael Jordan and and he's going to benefit from the sponsorships on that car. I, I just this just this to me screams somebody threw something against the wall. They're trying to see if it sticks. They're trying to see how many people talk about it, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people to be gullible and believe this, this is going to happen, and it's just not. It's just not. And 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 I think if you ask me. You know what's going to happen with with Richard Petty Motorsports? I I still think Bubba Wallace is coming back. Um, I, I just I just don't see Bubba going anywhere. You know, part of it is Bubba's got. I mean, I know he's got a share of this team, but Bubba's not going to get that at other organizations. I mean, Ganassi's not just going to turn over and fork out a, a piece of his organization to 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 Bubba Wallace. And also, I don't think Bubba's going to drive on the cheap. You know, supposedly there's another rumor out there that Ganassi offered Bubba a contract, and Bubba kind of looked at it and laughed at it because because of the salary. So once again, and and I've and I felt this way about Bubba before, where Bubba's really you know he wants to be a race car driver, okay? He's decent, but Bubba's also in it because he's or is looking at the opportunity he has, and he's looking at the dollar sign, okay? He's looking at how much am I actually going to make on this. You know, he's looking at the dollar signs. You know, he went to – I mean, Gibbs had Bubba at one time, okay, under driver development deal, the whole nine yards. They couldn't find sponsorship for the young man. So he follows the money, and, and it brings him over to Roush. Now, I don't know how much money Roush threw at Bubba to come over, and I don't know how much money Ford threw at, at Roush to get Bubba in their car, but it was something. Then all of a sudden, the, the tides turned, and it was all of a sudden, you know, you got to find sponsors, this, that, and the other. And, and Bubba, Bubba's team and Roush did a decent job. They found sponsors, but they struggled at a point because they couldn't, they couldn't keep them. So now Bubba goes over to Richard Petty Motorsports, gets a deal to sub in for Eric Amarola, does, does a decent job you know, filling in for Eric and ends up getting this deal and drives to 43 in the last couple of years. And you look at this deal that he's got right now, he's getting a lot of these, he's bringing sponsors in. 
Okay. And I'm not going to go through the whole history. You guys all know what has happened this year with Bubba. I'm not, we're not retracing those steps. Um, but what I am going to say is that Bubba's brought sponsorship to the team. Okay. But a lot of those sponsors are tied to Bubba and not the race team. And it was very interesting because, you know, I, someone pointed out to me that, you know, oh, well, all the sponsors are tied to Bubba. And it's not, this isn't anything new. This isn't new. Kevin Harvick has everybody at Stuart Haas that sponsors his four car is affiliated with Kevin Harvick Incorporated minus Mobile One. Mobile One is the only sponsor that's tied to Stuart Haas that is not a KHI sponsored client. Everything else there at Stuart Haas on that four car is Kevin Harvick. Harvick brought Budweiser slash Bush with him. He brought uh, Jimmy Johns with him. He brought Outback there with him. Now Outback's out of the sport. Hunt Brothers was a Harvick sponsor. Fields is a is a Harvick sponsor. You know, Harvick basically has funding. He could go do whatever he wants. And part of the reason why Brad Keselowski started his his uh, manufacturing company with the 3D printers and all that is because he wants that so that if something happens and he loses his job at Penske. He has funding to go start his own cup program. Not a bad idea. And this is what I'm talking about. It all takes money. Bubba Wallace has now got sponsorship. He can go to any team he wants and say, hey, listen, this is what I got. This is what I want for a salary, though. And if Ganassi sat there and laughed at it and balked at it, then that's on chip. If that's true. If it's true. But it just it leaves you to wonder what's really going on over there. But I, I do think this this um, this Michael Jordan thing is is false news, I, 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 fake news. I think it's it's just somebody threw something at a wall and let it stick, and you know it is what it is. Um, you know, do I think there's going to be a change in ownership at Richard Petty Motorsports? I know, we all know Andrew Merstein is looking at getting somebody else involved in this program. You know, Andrew owns eighty percent of the team. Richard Petty owns about twenty. Um, I would say Andrew's probably given up some of his shares to, to Bubba. And, and if he had to ask me what do I really think Bubba owns, I think Bubba owns somewhere between 5 to maybe 10% of this team. I don't think he owns a lot. I think he has a very, very small stake in this team. And I think it was to try to keep him from going to another organization. So if Bubba owns 5, maybe Andrew's like, I'll double I'll give you 10. You know, And if it's 10, maybe he's going to give him 20. You know, and then him and, and Richard are, are are equals in the in the partnership. And Andrew still owns 60. Andrew Merstein's not a stupid guy. He knows what he's doing. He's he owns the taxi medall- medallions in New York City. He owns Medallion Financial Group. Very, very strong investment firm that he owns. Andrew Merstein's no idiot. He knows what he's doing. Okay. And like I said, it's just very interesting. Um, the other thing that broke was Spire announced that they're going to run the two teams basically on their own next year. Uh, they're not going to be dependent on Rick Ware racing, which I thought was pretty interesting. Thank you to Matthew for uh, putting that article up in one of the groups. I thought it was a great read from Forbes. Um, I think they're going to they're going to do exactly what I've been saying. They're going to start their they're going to start building their own stuff. Maybe not building their own stuff, but they're going to start building their own operation. And getting cars from different people, uh, I think they're looking at the long term. You know, they brought Joe Garone into this program for a reason. Joe Garone knows how to build a championship team. 
oh, by the way, Joe Garone was also working at Front Row, I mean, Furniture Row Racing at one time. Yeah, that Joe Garone. He's involved still with Spire somehow, I believe. Um, but they know what they're doing. These guys are these guys are not stupid. They knew getting into this that they were not going to dump a ton of money into this program right at the beginning. Okay, they're going to start dumping a little bit of money in, but they need sponsors. They need to find drivers. I still think this is where Justin Haley ends up. I still think that this is either Garrett Smithley or if they get a deal with Ganassi, this is where Ross Chastain ends up next year. I think Haley's pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered to this team. I really, really do. I think they're trying to find the sponsors. They're trying to put the package together, but I think this is where Justin Haley ends up next year. I think Justin Haley drives a 77 full-time next year in Cup. And I think Chastain's going to end up in the second car if they can find some some kind of deal with Canassi and put some sponsorship together for that car. But I think that that that's where the alignment's going to go. And I think Colleague is going to have two new drivers in their race cars next year. And I wouldn't be a damn bit surprised if AJ Allmendinger isn't somehow involved in it. Maybe not on a full-time basis, but, you know, is a part-time driver. You know, maybe the 10 car becomes the all-star car again and – in the 11, they kind of throw somebody in that car. So we'll see. Well, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Coochie's Corner podcast. Um, like I said, thanks for all the support. We've we've you know just seen tremendous growth the last uh, week or so. So thank you guys for all that. And uh, don't don't forget, you can catch us on YouTube and on Twitch. I told you guys earlier in the episode how you can find us on there. And uh, until next time, we will see you guys later. Have a great week. Enjoy the races at the Daytona Oval. I think they're going to be wild and crazy. Don't forget the Xfinity race is Friday night. Cup race is Saturday evening. And then you have the truck race on uh, Sunday afternoon. All right. So we'll catch you guys uh, next week. We'll break down all the races at Daytona. Who's in the playoffs? Who's out? All the excitement that happens at Daytona. We'll get you guys all covered right here on the Coochie's Corner podcast. And until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at The Crew Chief, on Twitter at The Crew Chief, Instagram at Crew Chiefs Corner, TikTok at Crew Chiefs Corner, and on the Anchor app and anchor.fm. Thanks for listening.